Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni DiGiovanni and joining me for another episode, we've done a few of these now, Adam, haven't we? Adam yeah, Christo. We hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Here at Pixel Sift, we've made our name delivering some of the best indie game coverage in Australia, uh, looking at games made around Oz and the world. And this is Mainstream. It's a spin-off podcast. Uh, it's episode six. And on Mainstream, we discuss some of those more high-profile, those blockbuster games that we've been playing, uh, stuff that you would be able to pick up in a local store, uh, and what we've been reading in the news. Now, first up, Adam, can you tell me what have you been digging into since the last time we spoke? Uh, I have been playing a lot of games. Like I, I have, I spent maybe all of my summer break playing Final Fantasy fourteen and put two hundred and fifty hours into it, which is worrying. Uh, and then I decided I was going to get back into Monster Hunter World because Monster Hunter World Iceborne was coming out soon. And I was like, you know what? Here it is. It's finally coming out on PC. I'm actually going to play through the campaign of Monster Hunter World. I'm going to get ready for this expansion. I'm going to give it a shot because I set myself a goal for like uh, 2020. And that was I want to pick an action based combat game that has lots of combo systems, lots of mechanics and movement. I don't want to play Bayonetta, I don't want to play Devil May Cry, but I want a game that forces me to have to like memorize like, you know, fighting styles or combat sequences and and actually learn how to play a game like that. So Monster well, Hunter World was what I picked. And, we're going to dig yeah. right into that. I've also, uh, I've recently picked up uh, sort of a monster related game. It's a monster themed episode, this particular one. Um, I've been playing a, a game that's just come out in early access. It's been a long crowdfunded game since 2018. It's a game called Temtem which is Pokemon not made by Game Freak. Uh, well, let's jump in, shall we? Yeah. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. So, Temtem, let me put this to you. I'll paint you a picture. You know Pokemon? Have you heard of, heard of Pokemon before? Vaguely. Little, little <laughs> indie game, been around for a little while. Um, what if someone else made Pokemon and uh, they made it uh, learning a lot of the lessons that uh, have been learned over the years and they put it together and they made it the MMO that you've always wanted Pokemon to be? Uh, that's that's Temtem, basically. Um, it is really, really close uh, to the Pokemon format. Uh, I, I wonder if even slightly copyright infringingly close to the Pokemon format, um, but if you like Pokemon games and you thought... Uh, you know, maybe I need a bit more. Maybe I've finished the campaign in one of the other games I've recently played, and I'm, I've, you know, I've caught them all, um, and I want something a bit different. Um, Temtem is a really interesting way to do it, and I think what's really cool is it's um, it's it's Pokemon. It's the same style of game, which is a monster collecting game. You go around; it's an RPG. You collect as many monsters, you fight them together, uh, you battle your way through the world. There's a number of challenges, and you get to the end. Um, but what happens if someone comes at this as a fan of this this sort of genre, um, but they come at it with different priorities and they come at it with a slightly different sort of take on the world? So, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really interesting to kind of play play this game, which is still being developed, but, um, yeah, really fascinating look at what, um, what, what the potential of a monster hunting game that isn't made by Nintendo and Game Freak. So the thing that stands out for me the most is just how similar it is and i can't quite move beyond that in my brain I, there's just something about the fact that you catch the the temtem with something that looks similar to a pokeball but it's a card 
Um, the game opens up and you have a mother character and you're in a house and then you meet a professor and then you go on your journey. It's like the beats mm. of the story are almost identical. There are gym trainers. It's like there is elements of how this is almost identically Pokemon in every single way that made me feel a little bit weird about it. And I know I need to, need to kind of move on because I'm actually really keen to see how this really kind of adjusts and changes the formula of Pokemon for me because I know a lot of people kind of went into Sword and Shield and were a little bit disappointed by just how small incremental changes happen in Pokemon. I mean, as someone who'd only played Red and Blue and then went into Sword and Shield, I was surprised at how similar those games are despite how much time has passed. It's like mm. evolution of that game is so slow. So Temtem seems like a big leap forward for a lot of people. And I think just, is that why everyone's grabbing onto it, even though it seems like such a copy paste? I think it's almost like a greatest hits album, but you know, a greatest hits album always has a bit of choice in it. You know, maybe your favorite song isn't on that greatest hits album. There's probably a lot of other great bits in there, um, but it's slightly different. You know, it's it's a curated sort of experience. And what I think I guess the Sword and Shield comparison is quite apt because in a lot of ways there's a lot of the this this particular game seems almost a reaction to the previous generation of Pokemon. Um the ones that used to be on the 3DS, so the suns and moons and all of that sort of thing. So it sort of seems like it's a modernization of that particular format, but with the stuff that's kind of been introduced for the most recent Nintendo Switch game of Pokemon, there's some things in that I actually quite like. I like even better um, in the Pokemon series, which there's no reason why they couldn't include it in Temtem. Um, so things like in the, there's the overworld um, in this. And one of the cool things about this game is it's an MMO. So you actually see people running around all the time um, and you see people in lots of uh, different places. They're all, you always see that like a Pokemon running with them, not a Pokemon, a Temtem, of course, running with them. Um, the Temtem by side, which is, I think, one of those features that everyone loves, which is you get to yeah. see your favorite Pokemon cool run one. next to you. And yeah, I was yeah. so surprised that wasn't in Sword and Shield. And because I don't know any of the characters yet or the monsters yet, I see people running in towns and I'm like, whoa, that's cool. I want one of them. Um, and, you know, you go and inspect what they've got and uh, you go, oh, well, that's kind of an interesting thing. You start doing down the Googling rabbit hole of all that sort of stuff. So that's, you know, in a way, that sort of exploration of a world that I don't really know fully is really fun as well. Um, but it sort of calls into like some like some strange, like the writing in it's pretty good. Um, yeah, as you said there, there's a lot of the same tropes. You know, you're catching Pokemon, storing them or catching Temtem, storing them digitally. Uh, there's a professor, there's a league, you know, there's a whole bunch of dojos or, you know, which are effectively the gyms. Um, and, yeah, I, I think the thing for me is this game, uh, while, while amazingly fully featured so far, is definitely still in development. Um, and, it, in fact, you can run through particular parts of the map and actually see little work in progress signs pop up on different buildings and it's, this building doesn't exist. Yet it's just a placeholder building. The interior and the functionality hasn't been putting put into it yet. Um, I really love that about early access games. Yeah, and I think it's kind of cool. It's like come back a bit later because we'll have this new building for you, and characters kind of refer to it. And and that really feels to me a lot like a lot of the MMO stuff. Um, when I used to play um, World of Warcraft and stuff like that, you know, you'd see areas and you know that potentially down the track this area could be expanded, or you know that this particular thing is coming. So that's kind of like a bit more of that sort of games as a service style game, which we were talking about when we were talking about um, the previous uh, mainstream episode when we were talking about Sword and Shield. Um, it feels a bit even more like a games as a service game um, than those recent ones, which have just had DLC announced for them. So, 
Yeah, and, th- and that's kind of weirdly what I want from Pokemon is I want that kind of forever game that it's constantly trickling out interesting updates and, you know, little tweaks here and there or, you know, changing the whole meta of how you build parties. I'm a little bit curious, though, like, what are some of the tweaks here? Like, I know that there's been some combat redesigning. From what I understand, Temtem is all doubles, which I think all is doubles. a big deal for Pokemon players. You can play the whole game co-op um, online, which is with another person, which is really cool. Um, you, you know, they control their own team. You control your own team. Um, the speed of it's quicker. It's harder as well. It's a, more of a complexity to it. Um, as someone who kind of felt like they face rolled in the previous games and really didn't have to try that hard before I was just totally destroying everyone. Um, yeah, so it's more com- complex. I love the MMO factor. It feels like a real world in a way that I'd always had wanted. Um, yeah, it just has a lot of really neat, Things. The character designs, most of them are really, really cool. And I can't, I actually, if you said to me that they were Pokemon, I probably would believe you if it was popped up in a Japanese Koro Koro magazine or something like that. That's, it probably looks like it. So, yeah, it's got a lot of the same, yeah, heart and soul of it. And, um, but it's interesting to see someone else come at it, uh, come at the, the problem of this game or the, the challenge of this game with a, with a different solution. Yeah, well, I think in some ways it's almost the best problem for Nintendo to have. Hopefully they look at Temtem and go, how do we, how do we really push the next Pokemon game after this? Definitely. I think it's um, one to double check if you're keen. Now, I would say it is, it's quite, a, quite an expensive game for a bit of a punt. Uh, it's about $50 Australian um, to get in on the early access. I'm sure that will come down in price as you go along in sales and all of those sort of things. Um, so you'd, you'd have to be pretty passionate about it because there is, there is a most of the storyline in there, but there's lots of things that aren't quite in there yet. So... You know, it was crowdfunded in 2018, still in progress, one to follow for the rest of the year. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. And Adam, what have you been playing, speaking of monsters? Well, we were talking a little bit about games as a service, and this is a game that is absolutely a service. I have been playing Monster Hunter World Iceborne, which is the super massive expansion to, I think it was 2018's Monster Hunter World. Um, This expansion actually came out on consoles kind of mid to late last year, around August, September. Um, So people on PlayStation and Xbox have been playing the content in this game for quite a while, but it just came out on PC a couple of weeks ago. Um, And... Monster Hunter is a series that likes to kind of put out, very similar to Pokemon, likes to put out a, a kind of bridging game kind of midway through the cycle of, you know, each season of, of game release that it puts out. Um, and usually that will bring in a new monster rank. So you'll have like G rank uh, as like happened in the last generation's one. This one brings in master rank. So it's a new difficulty mode as well as 25 new monsters, variants, subspecies and elder dragons. There's a brand new hub um, and a brand new base that you can explore called Celiana. It's on a whole new landmass, which is called Hawfrost Reach, which is kind of ice themed. Um, and there's every single weapon in this game plays completely differently. And they've all got new moves and mechanics, which change the way that you play them. Um, and then they've given you a new um, ability called the Clutch Claw, which is a grappling hook nice. that you can, uh, you basically can grapple onto monsters and you can grab. So this Ooh, so I should shadow what the Monster Hunter is. I should explain what Monster Hunter is as well. So basically Monster <laughs> Hunter is a game where you get into big, long drawn out fights with massive monster enemies, which are basically like huge boss battles. Um and you will have like a set period of time. You might have 45 minutes or 30 minutes to hunt the monster. You have to track them in the environment, find them, and then get into battle with them with complicated weapons and move sets. They kind of fight a lot like Dark Souls bosses where they have very big telegraphed attacks. You need to learn their patterns. 
if you get hit a couple of times, it's not going to be good. And healing in this game is very slow. Um, you have to be very careful with like your positioning. And essentially, yeah, you're going on a series of boss battles uh, in this game and exploring the environment and world around you. So that's Monster Hunter. Uh, Iceborne adds a whole lot more to the 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 mixture, I suppose. Snow? And snow as well. <laughs> um, and honestly, it's it's like if you liked Monster Hunter World and you thought it was really great, then I mm. think Iceborne gives you everything that you wanted from this game. If you had problems with Monster Hunter World or there were things in that game that you found a bit not quite right or uncomfortable, that Monster Hunter World Iceborne resolves none of those issues and perhaps makes them worse. Right, so- okay. So as someone who, who recently bounced off uh, one of those Souls-like games uh, with Jedi Fallen out order in terms of the difficulty, uh, sort of struggled with learning those patterns, uh, maybe not exactly the type of game for me, uh, Monster Hunter World. Yeah, I mean, like, it is a game that rewards you and really demands you to learn things. So, you know, combat is super solid. I chose a weapon called the Longsword, which is a huge kind of samurai sword. It is three times longer than my character. It is ridiculous. Um, and it uses a lot of kind of complicated mechanics and a, and a meter system that powers it up over time. Um, this particular sword also requires you to get really good at learning monster movement patterns because it works through a combo system and a counter system. And so it's your best interest when using longsword to find ways to counter at any point that you can, which means you know getting frame-perfect attacks lining up with a monster hitting you so that you can turn around and do a special slash, which will upgrade your damage across the board. Um, that takes time and practice, and I'm very bad at it. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare, and and my worst <laughs> worst idea yeah. for a game. Yeah, so I guess the other thing that is that this game is like filled with like features and lots of different things that you need to do. Um, you know, lots of like mechanics and 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 elements that make no sense. Like, there's a character called the Elder Melder, and if you don't know what melding decorations means, well, the tutorial will make no sense to you, and I had to watch a YouTube video. Um, you might be wondering, what's the Steamworks? I still don't really know, but I watched a YouTube video. Um, it's just, it's one of those mechanic-dense games that really, like, wants you to go down a rabbit hole to kind of, and go online to yeah, to learn right. how to play. Like, the tutorials for learning your weapons in this game are very bad. And I almost recommend that if you're going to play this game, pick the weapon that you want to play, then find the YouTube tutorial video that actually tells you how to use it. Um, But the thing with Iceborne is that you have to get through 30 hours of the original content before you can even unlock any of the expansion stuff. So I had to finish low rank, which is about 16 to 20 hours. Then I had to finish all of high rank in Monster Hunter World before I could unlock Monster Hunter World, uh, Iceborne, and the master rank content. So you're looking at about a 30-hour commitment in this game before you can even play any of the new stuff that just came out. And there are some catch-up mechanics that they're patched in, which is like some super strong armor and some super strong weapons that will let you breeze through early missions. But when you breeze through those early missions, you don't learn the fundamental basics of how to play the game, mm. which is um, being punished by enemies because you're brute-forcing them with damage or you're not taking any damage from their hits. It, it kind of teaches you to play sloppy. So what I found was I brute forced my way through the early part of the game, got to Iceborne and started just getting destroyed over and over by really strong enemies that would just crush me. And it, I had to basically relearn how to play properly. I had to start follow, like paying attention to monsters, using my environment a lot. Like you can basically set traps up in the environment. Like you might see like 
a stalactite hanging at the top of a cave and you might lure the monster to stand underneath it so you then you can shoot your slinger and it drops down and hits them for massive damage which is super cool um but those things become pivotal in master rank like any advantage that you can get to like swing the fight in your favor you need to do does it make you i guess does it give you a real sense of achievement like you've actually really worked to get this particular thing when you are you know when you do manage to defeat a boss and and take them out yes (laughs) absolutely it's that same rush that i got when i played sekiro when i finally would get past the boss that trapped me for four hours or whatever um, there's one monster that's kind of very early on in master rank that sticks to mind to me as like a, a check on, can you play this game? And that's a monster called Barioth, which is incredibly fast, really takes up your space, um, gives you no breathing room and will kill you in a couple of hits in seconds if you're unlucky. And for me, I had to relearn how to play the game and it took me about six hours of just kind of hitting a wall and then when i finally got past it it felt super satisfying and then i just crushed the next four monsters so it's it does have that rush that satisfaction of overcoming difficulty which i think is part Mm. of the souls game but the other thing that this game does is it's a grind you know you're going to fight these monsters over and over it's a bit like an mmo it's a bit like a games of a service you're trying to collect um like like a looter shooter or a you know diablo style game where you just run through and run the same thing multiple multiple times essentially yeah so you're Mm. farming monsters for rare parts that you can then craft into gear and armor and this is where things start to get a bit uncomfortable for me because this is a game that has some pretty fraught issues with colonialism as it is i mean the story of this game is like you're on a fleet and you're going to the new world and you're exploring all the monsters there and you're setting up a base in a colony, and it that feels uncomfortable. And then when you're essentially just killing this T-Rex 30 times so that you can get its fang to make a cool hat, you start feeling really uncomfortable about your role in this world and the role of the monsters and kind of invading, you know, another environment essentially to kill native flora and fauna. It feels... Does it acknowledge it at all? Or no. Not? I mean, the game tries to do this kind of wish-washy kind of circle of life kind of narrative and that you're there to help the circle of life. But essentially, you're never meant to be there there to begin with. You came on boats, right? Like (laughs) Dinosaurs are there to make hats. Let's be real. Yeah. Like, you you end up feeling a little bit gross, like you're a big game hunter or a poacher or something. Mm. And some of these monsters just seem to be in their environment doing their thing. And then you're coming in with your giant long sword and going, you're going to be my next pair of shoes. And Mm. it- that doesn't quite square away with me. Like I am putting all of those feelings that make me uncomfortable and putting them in a box to the side when I play this game. Then immediately when I turn it off, I start thinking about them. I think so that's okay. Icky. I think that's okay. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can have an experience uh, and play a game uh, for what it is. Um, and then, but I think the next step is usually thinking about where it is and how it is and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, one of the things about playing a lot of games is people often think oh, I've got to always be critically looking at everything. Some things you can just play for fun, but I think, you know, where you take it after that and, and how you just sort of discuss it is is the next stage. And, you know, not every game just is part of, you know, that conversation you have in your life, but some of them are. So um, one thing I do want to know, because I know that the Monster Hunter games has a pretty elaborate sort of costume and um, I guess loot show off sort of screen. And I know you're a big fan of the fashion in games uh how does that sort of compare and when how do you square that with thinking about i've just chopped up you know a whole whole species of animals for these uh this cool belt i really try not to think about that which <laughs> <laughs> is the honest truth um the fashion in this game is fantastic there's a whole bunch of new sets 
Um, there's a new mechanic, which they kind of introduced midway through World's Patch Cycle, which is called Layered Armor, which allows you to wear um, cosmetic armor over the top of your stat- statistical armor. Because essentially this game, everyone's in clown suits. Um, you make what's called like an armor set based from various different monster parts. So you'd never have a good looking matching suit at the end of the day. You're, you're building armor pieces based on the bonus kind of skills that they give you. So everything's mismatched. So having the option to build layered armors or find them during events is really good. But when you're playing on PC, you can install the transmog mod, which is really awesome and allows you to create layered armors based on any of the armor sets in the game. So you can kind of get your fashion um, energy out uh, really easily, which is one of the benefits of playing on the PC platform. Very important. So um, just quickly, uh, who is this game for? I think this game is for people that like action RPGs, like really interesting boss battle mechanics and want to be challenged and really enjoy games that, you know, are going to be like, do you want to grind for six hours for this thing? Because it's very much one of those games where when you get comfortable with it, you're in a groove. It's the sort of game you want to put on for four or five hours and just grind through. It's like, if you get that vibe from Destiny 2 or any of those games that really want to put you in a place and make you grind, then I think Monster Hunter World and Iceborne by extension is where you can go. All right. Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Let's uh, chat about what's happening in the news. You're listening to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. Adam, you've uh, found a really interesting article. It's sort of uh, thinking about, I guess, the context of colonialism, talking about Iceborne uh, there in uh We've recently had Australia Day uh, in Australia. People would know, who may or may not know that that's the the national day that's celebrated, but it has a controversial history because it's the day that sort of marked uh, European colonialism in Australia. Um, and uh, in Melbourne, uh, developers are, are, are doing taking part in a campaign called Pay the Rent. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So um, I guess the developers are uh, a house house, the the developer of Untitled Goose Game and Push Me, Pull You. And the Pay the Rent initiative has actually been something that's been talked about for decades within Indigenous communities and as a way for um, people of the public to come forward and pay reparations for living on stolen land and for, you know, living in a colony on living on, sa- you know, land that was never ceded. Um, And so this year in particular, around Invasion Day protests around the country, um, a big national movement was weighed to really kind of focus on paying the rent and to encourage settlers on land to pay back Indigenous communities. And so Untitled Goose Game have made the decision to dedicate uh, the 1% of all their income from this point forward to Indigenous groups as part of Pay the Rent movement, which I think is fantastic. Um, and they're giving money to the Wurundjeri Tribe Council, uh, Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, and Seed Mob, um, which are like three fantastic organizations. Seed Mob in particular are a national-based organization of young Indigenous people that are working towards climate action and climate change. Um, so uh, there's a lot more information on Pay the Rent at paytherent.net.au, but it's a really, I think it's a really great thing to see House House doing this and kind of acknowledging kind of, you know, you know where we sit as mm. as a country or as a so-called country. I think it's it's probably something that we'll start to see more and more um, out of uh, developers, uh, especially in Australia, because Australian um, in independent developers at least seem to be pretty aware of this sort of thing um, broadly as part of the industry. There might be a generalisation, there might be a, you know, but you know, I, I I know a few companies, for example, who are off the top of the head would probably be involved in this sort of thing. And I think it's quite interesting if you think back to our, our last episode of the uh, Pixel Sift uh, flagship 
podcast or interview podcast episode 138, we were talking about um, game devs for fireys as well. And that's all about sort of thinking, I guess, the the context in which we're, which games are being made. Uh, and I think especially with uh, the Invasion Day protest, which happened on the 26th of January, um, you know, this is a conversation that is starting to move forward and, and seeing that people can, you know, make a, a, a little a little way towards uh, paying reparations for this sort of thing. So, yeah, if you want to find out more, you can uh, you can check out the link in the post. And also, it's uh, yeah, paytherent.net.au if you're interested in finding out how you personally can pay the rent as well, because it's an initiative for anyone to kind of get involved in. Mm. Um, probably worth uh, worth mentioning as well that Pixel Sift uh, is actually made on a number of different. Uh, Indigenous lands. It's made made on the land of Wajok and Manang people of the Noongar Nation, the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and the Yagara people. And I think you're in Wurundjeri land as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So in the Kulin Nation. In, in the Kulin Nation. So um, yeah, d- definitely something to to acknowledge and, and think about where we are in, in the modern context of Australia. In um in something slightly different, uh, I've been looking at. There's a big feature story up on um, Polygon.com uh, done by Austin Goslin. Uh, talking about the mass Twitch exodus, um, have you have seen anything about this? Do you know anything about what's happening with a number of high-profile, like the biggest high-profile streamers uh, o- online? It's super fascinating, right? Like this has kind of been building since Ninja uh, left Twitch and, and went to Mixer. But then Arguably from the that biggest moment, streamer in the world. Yeah, and I think that was the moment where everyone was like, who's next and where are they going next? And we've seen just like a slow trickle of different content creators leave Twitch to various platforms, whether it be YouTube gaming, Facebook gaming as well. A thing that I didn't even know existed, Facebook gaming. Um, but yeah, it's, it just heralds a, a different change in in what these big platforms are doing and how they're signing exclusivity deals. It's It's fascinating. I think what is really interesting about this particular thing is that as soon as... Uh, Tyler Blevins or Ninja signed the deal to move from Twitch uh, as the biggest Twitch streamer to to Mixer, a platform owned by Microsoft. Um, it really started a bit of a gold rush uh, for locking down uh, some of the best names. And it reminds me a lot of the television exclusive deals that we often see. You know, as soon as there's pilot season, everyone's trying to sign TV shows to their particular platform. You want to be the next HBO show or you want to be a Netflix deal or all of that sort of thing. And, and what you're doing is people might switch channels, but what these companies are trying to do is they're trying to get you to stay on their platform as much as possible. Um, and they're making big deals behind the, the background to make it happen. I think another really interesting one is uh, Activision Blizzard, for example, um, who make games like Overwatch and World of Warcraft and Hearthstone and all of that. They're moving all of their esports broadcasts for all of their leagues, like the Overwatch League and the uh, Heroes of the Storm and all of that, they're moving over exclusively to YouTube gaming. Um, so they're, they're moving their entire platform across to that. I am so curious to how much that cost because I, it seems to me like they're making a big bet on the fact that people will follow them across. And I think a lot of people like the platforms that they're on and they have a bit of inertia um, and they, they usually might not go and change the channel across to someone else. I know what do you what reckon? you mean because, well, I guess for me, I actually watched Overwatch League when it first kicked off because I was playing a lot of Overwatch back then. And and it was also before the the GOATS meta started, which is we're in another world. We're talking about that and we won't go there. Um, but that was boring to watch. Um, but 
you know, the thing for me was I stopped watching Overwatch League because it was mainly on Twitch and I didn't want to watch it there. And I was watching old, old seasons, old uh, recaps on YouTube. And so for me, I'm really excited about Overwatch League coming to YouTube because it's a platform where I prefer to watch a large majority of games content as I'm never online while people are actively streaming. So I always, and I don't like the way VODs work on Twitch. So for me, pumped. But I also feel like, you know, I think it opens you up to newer audiences, mm. right? Particularly if a platform, you know, Facebook gaming is a good example there because I think a lot of people use the Facebook platform that might never interact with Twitch. And I think that's a really fascinating opportunity for streamers to discover a new audience that has no idea that this thing is even happening. Um, I think sometimes it's really easy for us to be in our bubble as people that consume a lot of games content to forget that there are an entire group of people out there that aren't even aware of what Let's Plays are or... Yeah, I mean, like, it's a real sign that we're in the thick of it now with the, what they call the attention economy or the attention wars. Every single platform is vying for your eyes, vying for your attention at any point in time, you know. This is the competition to Netflix in a lot of ways uh, for for platforms like YouTube gaming and Facebook gaming. They want to take you away from whatever it is else you're doing. So, I'm really fascinated to see this where, where this goes. I think we're in a bubble at the moment and I'm wondering when it bursts. Yep. All right. Well, you can read that story um, on uh, the link to that will be in the notes of this particular episode or on our website. It's over on polygon.com. Really cool if you're interested in a nice long form journalism there. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Um, so this has been Mainstream by Pixel Sift. It's what video games the Pixel Sift team have been playing and what we've been reading online. My name's Gianni DiGiovanni. I'm the executive producer of Pixel Sift and Adam Christo is a producer on Pixel Sift. Um, Adam, where can people find you if they want to look you up on Twitter? Ah, you can find me at at Adam Christou. I'm on Twitter at uh, G underscore DI underscore G, or you can check out all the stuff that's happening at Pixel Sift on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, usually it'll be me behind the wheel of all the social media. Um, if you like this, uh, you can check out our Australian podcast, award-winning podcast. Uh, it's just called Pixel Sift. Uh, we interview indie game developers, break down the news uh, and basically keep you in the loop. If you want to hear about great creativity that's being made in Australia and around the world, uh, that's a great place for you to go. And you can also head to our website to see videos, articles, and much more on pixelsift.com.au. And you can give us a rating or a review. It really actually helps. So please do. If you can, if your podcatcher app lets you do a rating or a review, please go there. And, uh, you know, I think we're worth does but who knows i think so tell a friend uh, if you like what you heard um, and another great thing to check out if you head to that pixelsift.com.au we've just put up a big article with every single australian made game in 2019 so if you want to see a whole bunch of australian games uh, that came out you can head there and there's links and lots of pictures and everything that came out from australia in 2019 on pixelsift.com.au Oh, that's it. That's all the time we have for Mainstream Episode 6. We'll see you next time. See ya.